It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us, as we do every day for the first couple segments. We are live streaming. Go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You want to go there today and see these giant bags under my eyes. Um, and it's, I, I come at it. I come at it honestly. Stayed up late last night. Got drawn into watching the Cubs and the Colorado Rockies game. I think that thing... I'm, I didn't get to bed till pushing 1 o'clock, but I watched all 13 innings of it. And then it is a phenomena. And married men, you will know this. If you have a dog, the dog is yours, yours and your wife. You, it is your dog, except at 2.30 in the morning when the dog needs to go out, at which point in time your dog becomes my dog. It's, it's just that bark, she's barking at 2.30 in the morning. This is after like staying up till like 1 o'clock and... Okay, so that, if you wonder why I got these big bags under my eyes, I come at it naturally, I come at it honestly, and I come at it watching the Colorado Rockies beat the Chicago Cubs. One of the effects of this, if you are looking, and I guess it's it's good news in some respects, the game tomorrow is essentially, it's it's sold out for all intents and purposes, but one of the effects of the Rockies beating the Cubs is that the price of tickets in the secondary market in resale markets, ha- has dropped dramatically. Um, if if the Chicago Cubs were going to be coming up to Miller Park to play, you would have incredible demand from Chicago Cubs fans who wanted to do anything they could to get in to buy the tickets. I'm not saying Rockies fans don't travel, but Rockies fans, it's not like coming up uh, and taking over Miller Park. So that this market for secondary tickets ha- has dropped dramatically today, because, again, it's the Rockies, not the Cubs, that are playing. So if you're looking to kind of score a ticket in the secondary market, that is very good news. Now, as we have been telling you for the last 24 hours or so, if you don't have a ticket and can't get in tomorrow, come on out to Turner Hall because we're going to be doing a watch party. We're going to have the game up on a big screen TV. It's free to get into Turner Hall. Turner Hall is, of course, right across the street from the Bradley Center. And what we're going to do is we're going to sync up the game broadcast with um, on the radio with the TV broadcast. So you can turn down the sound. You don't have to listen to the awful ESPN announcers. And you can hear Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering make the call. Sounds like a lot of fun. And you can watch the game with hundreds, thousands, who knows how many of your closest friends. That sounds like a lot of fun. My show tomorrow is going to be originating from our mobile broadcast facility Outside of the front of Miller Park, my show will be on from noon until 3. It's not going to be all Brewers-related, but there's going to be a lot of Brewers-related stuff. And then starting at 3, Greg Matzik will will be in. We'll have some Brewers-related stuff. And then the official pregame, I think, kicks off around 3.30. First pitch at 4.07. The Brewers are putting out some of the announcements. The parking lot's open three hours before the first pitch. So that would make it approximately 1 o'clock. The gates open two and a half hours before the first pitch, and they are encouraging people to to come early. Now, there's going to be some pregame activities that they say you really want to be in your seats for, but also it's kind of like opening day. There's going to be, first of all, you're going to have 45,000 people there. You're going to have some of some added security, I believe, and if, if you wait till the last minute to try to get in, you're probably going to find yourself waiting in some longer lines. So what they want everybody to do is to get there early, 
get into the game, get into your seats and be ready and save yourself a little bit of a hassle. And I think that's going to be very good advice. When you are coming out to the park tomorrow, be sure to stop by our mobile broadcast facility because, like I say, my program is going to be originating there in its entirety. Same thing is true on Friday, except the timing is a little bit earlier. My show will be going from noon until 2 can we tell everybody some of the guests we have lined up? Can I tell that guest you got lined up for uh, right afternoon? As far as you know, I can. All right, Gruz says yes. Robin Yount. Robin Yount's going to be joining us at the start of the show on Friday. But we're, we're going to be filtering other guests in. Like I say, it's not going to all be exclusively baseball. A lot of stuff going on in the world. But I tell you, as far as I'm concerned, around here in Milwaukee, baseball is the number one thing, which is where we start the program today for our Facebook Live. I uh, I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed this Brewers season, listening to the games on WTMJ, attending a, a lot of the home games. It's just been a magical season. And I don't mind admitting, I am old enough to remember some of the other Brewers seasons. I was there at the playoffs in the World Series in 1982. I can remember the 2008 team was there in 2011 and one of the best games I've ever been at was Game 5 in the Division Championship where the Brewers, I think in the 10th inning, ended up uh, beating the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was all a lot of, it was just a lot of fun. But in, I will tell you, the feeling, especially in 2008 and in 2011, that I think a lot of us Brewers fans had was essentially, we're, we're just, how can I put it? We're damn glad to be here, and it would be great if we could go on a long run but I, I don't think anybody seriously thought in 2008 or even in 2011 that the Brewers had the ability to go on to win the World Series. I mean, 2008, they're back in the playoffs. That's great. They've made the playoffs. You want to see them succeed. But uh, all right, it, they've just made the playoffs. 2011, good team, made the playoffs, had a great season, but they, they, they had some significant flaws. And, and I don't think... While we were all pulling for them to win, I don't think any of us were really shocked necessarily that, that they didn't. I think this year is different. And I don't think I am looking at this through brewer-colored glasses. I think for people who, who follow the team intensely or even who follow the team casually, you can acknowledge that All right, maybe it's not a, a perfect team. But it's a really, really good team that is playing really, really well. And I will tell you, unlike in 2008 and 2011, where I did not think the team was going to make a deep run into the playoffs, just glad that they're there, I think this is different. I think this Brewers team has the potential to win the World Series. And I will tell you, I think anything, uh, while the season's been an incredible success, but this is one where they are poised to perhaps win the first World Series in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers. And I have to admit, if the season ends before that, while we're going to have a lot to be happy about, I, I think there's going to be at least a tinge of disappointment because the Brewers season might be this year. And that is where we start. Facebook Live, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Brewers Nation. Is it enough just to make the playoffs, or is this a team that has the potential to go a long way and maybe, just maybe, 
even win the World Series. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is yes. What do you think? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And again, we're live streaming the segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Brewers Nation, where do we go from here? Can this team make a deep run? 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the playoffs starts 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. The question is, unlike in 2008 and 2011, where I thought, you know, us, those of us who are Brewers fans, you wanted to see him go all, all the way. You wanted to see him the World Series, go to the World Series. But I think in our hearts of hearts, we, we knew that, all right, they, they weren't the best team in the National League. And they probably weren't going to win, and it wasn't a disappointment when they didn't. I think this year is different. I don't think there's any team in the National League that's actually better than the Brewers, especially the way they're playing now. And while we are reveling in this season, I think legitimately this is a team that has the ability to win the World Series. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think? Is this a team that really can seriously go all the way? Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Yes, Jeff. I think I think this team is peaking at the right time. I think you got picked up all the players, uh, especially Kane and uh, Yelich there in the beginning of the season. I mean, uh, earlier this year and that and everything else. It seems like this team is loaded for bear. And, Jeff, you've been going to all these games and uh, – I think you've been uh, bringing uh, some luck to these guys and everything else. Come on, hey, you're on board. I'm on board. Let's let's go. Let's let's make this train go all the way to the World Series and let's uh, do what we didn't do uh, in '82. Let's uh, win it this time. Out. I'm there, Tom. Thanks for the call from your lips to God's ears. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I think you raise a couple really interesting points. First of all. I mean, you, you look at the incredible depth of, of this team. I mean, there's, there's really not a weak spot in the team. Okay. Maybe you say you'd like a catcher that could hit a little bit better. But, but beyond that, I mean, you know, you talk about an outfield, you talk about an infield. Is there any, you know, group of starting players that you can put together that the team is perhaps better? No. You can say, okay, well, we'd like to have, you know, more of the, the great starting pitchers. Okay. But, all right, even if I give you that, even if they don't have the Clayton Kershaw, what the Brewers have is, I think, arguably the deepest and the best bullpen in Major League Baseball. And I'll tell you, there's not any, there's not a team that wants to play the Brewers if the Brewers are ahead after five innings. So if you get starting pitching that can rise to the occasion and get past this, and then you couple it with others, I don't know, a lot of potential here. Uh, let's go to, let's see, our Facebook Live page. We are going to go all the way. Mike says, now that the Cubs are out, the Brewers are clearly the team to beat. They are easily the best team left in the National League. While we shouldn't get arrogant or complacent, and no, believe me, I'm not arguing that, I think we can be confident that they are going to go far. Yeah, that's you know that's the point that's out there. Um, let's see, Scott says, I think they sweep Colorado and then uh, beat the, I think they sweep Colorado and then beat the Braves. Uh, Brad says, we will win the pennant. The World Series will be tough. But in 82, they were the favorites and lost. This year, they'd probably be the underdogs. But anything is possible, especially 
being hot like they are. You know, I, I, I say this a lot, but my friend Wayne Larravee, of course, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, he always says, and it's something that stuck with me, that it's not necessarily who you play, it's when you play them. Teams go through whether it's a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team, they're long seasons, and teams go through different periods of time. You had the Brewers before the All-Star break. Remember when they lost five games in a row at Pittsburgh and they were reaching the end of this point where they played 23 games in 23 days and they were kind of out of gas? Well, all right, you you wanted to play the Brewers then. You don't want to play this Brewers team now. And so much of, I think, sports, like so much of life, is just believing that you can do something. And I think I think this team believes that they can do it. And it's it's this, this incredible feeling that you get. And again, I don't cover the team on a daily basis, but every once in a while I have an opportunity to talk to Brewers management and you know, once or twice a year I get a chance to talk to a lot of the players and stuff. And I I, I think they genuinely like each other. I think they believe in themselves and that's a huge part of the battle. Andy in Beloit. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, afternoon. Yeah, I'd like to just comment and have a sure. question for um, First, yeah, I do believe this season they could at least make it to the World Series uh, really strongly, just because of uh, you know the Dodgers are going against. They're going to be they're going to be going against a team that's well arrested. When we got the we got the Rockies, which you know they've been they've been uh, work, they've been playing a lot of games, and plus they had the 13 inning one last night. So I think we could definitely get. Past, uh, past mm-hmm. uh, the Rockets, and then uh, have to maybe they maybe they go to Game Five or something with the the Dodgers. Do maybe play them on the championship. Uh, my question is, I felt that way right after they beat the Cubs this last time that they could go there. Is, is there a certain time you felt that way they could get to the World Series, or is it about the same time? Well, I I think I mean I, I'll tell you. I mean, starting in September, I mean it's it's been the last month or so as they've rounded into place. You know, when when they went on that run where they. They won seven, eight, nine series in a row, with the exception of the, the lost two out of three to Pittsburgh the one time. It was when they started doing that that I started to think, "Hey, this team." Now, thanks to call that this team is for real. And, and let's give David Stern some credit. I mean, it's you know when when you went out and you pick up Mike Mustakas and um, you you pick up Gio Gonzalez and you know the, the players that he's acquired, um, Curtis Granderson have have fit in incredibly well into the mix and. Again, they're just starting to come together. And, I mean, I think it's kind of been a, a, a gradual thing. I always thought that they had the talent to go far, but now they're, they're starting to, you know, deliver on that. Let's talk to Paul in Cedarburg. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Well, I think they have the talent, Jeff, as they currently stand here right now is them play, right. but here's the million-dollar question. Who do they cut? Who goes if they sign the twenty-five? Oh well, yeah, that's that. That'll be an interesting thing. What do they have to? They have to announce that today, or is it? I'm not sure if it's today or tomorrow morning or whatever. That's it's got to be before they play. Uh, yeah, so, and I know they're carrying fifteen in the bullpen, but who do they cut? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I really have no idea. So maybe somebody else does. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, again, it'll it'll depend. I think um, my guess is they go for the first series, which is the best of five, and just a guess, my guess is they go with three starting pitchers. So um, it'll be Gonzalez, Chassin, and Wade Miley. Zach Davis, my guess is he's out for the first um, series. Uh, I would just say that. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Woodruff is probably in. I think Domingo Santana is in. 
and then it's sort of the core group. But there, there's a lot of guys, good contributors, who are going to be on the outside looking in. But the the fun part of this is, you know, what you know, just what a great team and what a lot of potential. Now, I understand by early next week we could all be singing the blues, saying, "Oh, we just didn't see that coming." And and, and you have to understand that that's what baseball is. You you know, one team gets hot, one team doesn't. But I will tell you, for those of us who have been long-suffering Milwaukee Brewers fans, I, I think now may very well be the time. And I, I sit here in the studio, and you, you can't see it on our Facebook Live camera, but I look up, and we've got the, these numbers up there, and it's it starts at 11, 10, 9, 8, goes down. 11 is the number of wins that the Brewers would need to get uh, to win the World Series. And at first, when I saw those numbers up there, I thought, okay, maybe maybe this is an act of hubris on the part of management. But the more and more I think about it, I, I think not. I mean, anything can happen, but I tell you, I think it is going to be an absolutely great ride, and you can hear every pitch on WTMJ starting tomorrow at 4.07. And I seriously mean this. If you're coming out to Miller Park, my whole show originates from outside Miller Park in our mobile broadcast facility. Be sure to stop by and say hello. I would appreciate it. 1228 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, see, I've tried to take the high road on this because I, I, I've said this before, and I know that there's a number of people who are otherwise good and wonderful people who happen to be Cubs fans who listen to this broadcast. So I, I've, and I have said, and I stand by this individually, I, I think Cubs fans can be the nicest, sweetest, best people in the world. Collectively, you get a lot of Cubs fans together and you add in a dose of winning. And they become very, very difficult to be around. So I, I, I was even I was a little bit sympathetic watching the Brewers, of course, win on Monday, and the Brewers celebrate at Wrigley Field, and then last night the Cubs lose again at Wrigley Field, and the Colorado Rockies celebrate. I even I felt a couple twinges, a little bit of regret for Cubs fans, but then I remembered all the foul-mouthed, obnoxious behavior that I've sat through at Miller Park for years and years and years, and. Yeah, I wasn't as quite as sympathetic. Okay, the Brewers and the Packers are giving fans plenty to cheer about lately, but now it's time for your Milwaukee Bucks to get on the in on the action as well. Pfizer Forum finally opens its doors for what it was built for, a basketball game. Coverage of the Bucks and the Bulls preseason opener starts this evening, 6.30, right here on WTMJ. All right, uh, President Trump has, I think largely up until yesterday stayed out of the whole Brett Kavanaugh mess. He he's, you know, issued comments indicating that he stands behind Brett Kavanaugh, that he thinks a lot of the stuff is a witch hunt and it's intended to, you know, destroy Kavanaugh to, to kind of get at him and but but in general, I, I think it's been low key. He said that, you know, he's fine with an FBI investigation. He wants a full FBI investigation as long as it doesn't delay a vote. Um, He has made comments in general about how he thinks it's troubling in America that, you know, you can, I don't know, somebody can have a a lead a a wonderful life and then have that life completely upended for the purpose of politics. But, But in general, he's kind of stayed away from the fray until yesterday. Yesterday, he's at a campaign rally in in South Haven, Mississippi, and he can't help himself. At, and he, he starts to, for the first time in really, really pointed terms, 
he starts to go after the principal uh, accuser of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, which would be Christine Ford. Here's the way the New York Times reports it. President Trump on Tuesday sharply mocked the woman whose allegation of sexual assault has upended his effort to install a second justice on the Supreme Court. At a campaign rally, Mr. Trump went further than ever before in directly assailing Christine Blasey Ford, the university professor who has made various allegations against Judge Brett M. Kavanaugh. Playing to a crowd of thousands gathered to cheer him on, the president pretended to be Dr. Blasey, testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee last Thursday. 36 years ago, this happened. I had one beer, right? I had one beer, said Mr. Trump, channeling his version of Dr. Blasey. His voice dripping with derision. He then imitated her being questioned at the hearing, followed by her responses about what she could not recall about the alleged attack. How did you get home? I don't remember. How did you get here? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know, Mr. Trump said as the crowd applauded. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. Then continuing in his own voice, he said, and a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. His wife is shattered. He then, referring to people who've championed Dr. Blasey's case, he added, they destroy people. They want to destroy people. These are really evil people. All right. So, again, this is the first, this is the first time that he has jumped into this debate with both feet. And as you might predict, this decision to enter this discussion in this fashion has generated a lot of controversy. There are people saying, oh, this is classic Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump, you know, showing no sympathy at all towards women. Other people are applauding him, saying it's about time the president got in and started defending, you know, his nominee. A lot of people are uncomfortable with what the president did yesterday. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the president help or hurt the case for or against Judge Kavanaugh by deciding to weigh in yesterday? In my opinion, over the last, well, couple weeks, he's he showed, I think, amazing restraint in resisting the urge to get drawn into this. He has been supportive of Judge Kavanaugh, but at the same time, he, he hasn't gotten into on a... He hasn't waded in directly on this matter. That all changed yesterday. Did he do the right thing? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I I don't do interviews on the show as a general rule, but um, this is one I I chose not to pass up on. 2.40 this afternoon, we're going to be joined by Mercedes Mercedes Schlopp. She is the White House Director of Strategic Communications, and we're going to be talking about the Kavanaugh confirmation. So I thought that's... That would be interesting. That's what we're talking about right now. Yesterday, the president, at a rally in Mississippi, decides to wade in with, with both feet. He, he certainly offered comments before on what's been going on, and he's referred to some of the stuff that Democrats have been doing as, as a con job and things like that. But but yesterday was really the first time that he, he took on the principal accuser to Brett Kavanaugh. This comes 
the FBI investigation, the report is probably going to be complete today. Mitch McConnell says that the Senate will vote by the end of the week. It's very unclear as to whether or not they still have enough votes. All right. Was it helpful for the president to wade in in this fashion? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Vera in Milwaukee. Hi, Vera. Hi. He also said that young men have it very hard today. And women, they've got it great. I mean, it just was typical of this human being having no understanding, no compassion, no sense of right and wrong. For a woman, from a woman's point of view, it's devastating. And so you you do not think he helped uh, Judge Kavanaugh's cause by you know, getting involved in that fashion? Took another year, I would say no, he didn't help them. But you have a base that doesn't care if he lies and steals and does whatever. So I have no idea if he helped it or not. Didn't help him I, in your I didn't help him in your mind though. In I would hope that women have enough self respect for themselves. Vote him right out of office. I don't understand how we got there to begin. Got it. Okay, thanks to call Vera, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hiya, Jeff. Say, I'll tell you, his former mentor, Roy Cohen, and I brought this up in the past, it's so far into Donald Trump's DNA that he is going to do whatever he has to do to punch back and uh, it doesn't matter if it hurts Judge Kavanaugh or not, because if it, Judge Kavanaugh doesn't get approved, then he'll go back and he'll start blaming the Democrats. He is so far into whatever he does, Roy Cohen is somewhere in that man's DNA. Now, of course, Roy Cohen was it came to fame during the McCarthy hearings as the staff counsel and um, actually, you know, was Donald Trump's lawyer on multiple occasions until he yep. passed away in the eighties. Yeah. So you don't think this, you don't think this was about Brett Kavanaugh at all. You just think this was about Donald Trump kind of playing to his base. Exactly. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Thanks for call. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, the, you know, the, the, this is going to come down to, there's like four or five or, or maybe six senators. There's three Republicans. You've got Murkowski out of Atlanta, uh, out of Alaska, that is. You've got Susan Collins out of Maine. You've got Jeff Flake out of Arizona. If two of those three people vote for Brett Kavanaugh, then you don't need any Democratic votes. You've got a handful of Democrats from states that, that are up for reelection in a month that Donald Trump carried. They're under some pressure to vote for him. But you, you could do it with Republicans alone. Although Susan Collins and Jeff Flake are out this morning denouncing what Donald Trump did by by attacking, in this case, the the alleged victim. All right, did he make a huge mistake? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Did he help or hurt? Hurt big time, majorly. I mean, from a, a lot of different, through a lot of different lenses. Um, number one is he enraged. You know, obviously the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of corked off. You know, actually, honestly, a lot of Republicans. You know, just because it was unfounded, he was doing good, just shutting shutting up about it. You know, I mean, he kind of stayed. I admired. I, I will tell you honestly, Dave. I was impressed by his restraint on this to just kind of yeah. like let let it play out. You want to have an investigation? Have an investigation. Knock yourself out. Yeah, exactly. But the thing <laughs> is, what really, what really 
corks me off is every time he does a major accomplishment, because over the weekend with that whole redo, if you will, of the, of the NAFTA agreement, right. I mean, that was huge. And guess what? It's getting stepped on and lost now. And yeah. it was, that's like major. And yeah. it does it every single time. He can't resist. You know, you know, it's funny you would say that, Dave, because a couple of people were asking me about that. And I said, well, I'm like, Here, here's the deal. I I was not somebody that was necessarily in favor of picking that was in favor of picking a, a trade war. And I still think he's made some mistakes in that. But the truth is, at least when it comes to NAFTA, he he's gotten his way. He has negotiated. He has forced Canada and Mexico to negotiate a better trade deal for the United States. Yeah, and, I mean, right, that's all lost. Total, yeah. total capitulation. I mean, the whole thing is, is it got completely stepped on again. It's, 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 it's a major accomplishment. Granted, it hasn't been ratified yet, but nonetheless, you know, it's a major accomplishment that, you know, you can start to raise that banner up and walk around with it. And guess what? And you know what? The media, they're not going to glam onto that. They're well, going right. to glam onto the fact that he's, Right. somebody that, you know, that, uh, that, that, that alleges that sexual assault. Yeah, right. Thanks for right. They're, they're not going to be writing in general terms about, gee, is this going to make it easy for, easier for dairy farmers in central Wisconsin to sell their products to, to Canada? What they're going to be talking about is here you have the president who is insensitive to people who allege that they are victims of sexual assault. I, I guess. All right. Well, let, let's take a couple more calls and I'll tell you where I come down. Yvonne in Milwaukee. Yvonne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I, I am I am just so sick of President Trump opening up his mouth. He put the man in as a candidate for the Supreme Court. He should have left it at that. The man has no compassion for women. He doesn't know how to treat a woman. However, he treats a woman, apparently. He thinks it's okay mm-hmm. to do whatever he likes. So, therefore, it would be okay for any other man to treat a woman in that way, to degrade the woman who got up in front of that body of men and, and went into her deepest part of herself. I, I just can't believe what he would do. Thank you. Thank, no, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, and I, I understand people, look, we're never... Nobody is going to be satisfied by this. That, that's why, I mean, I said earlier this week that the, the easiest thing to do, I guess, would be for the Senate to vote Brett Kavanaugh down and then somebody else could put up. Now, I would not do that because I, I've, I've tried to make this argument as best I, I can. I, I don't, if you have somebody who is otherwise eminently qualified, and Brett Kavanaugh is, I, I don't think you can deny them a position based on a completely and totally uncorroborated and unsupported allegation from 35 or 36 years ago. That's why I have no problem with the FBI investigation. I, I just, I just don't think that you can do that. And, and I think we've gotten into the silly season as we talked about yesterday. Gee, now we, we don't like his temperament because he might have been at Yale and got into a, a disagreement, got into an altercation at, at some bar. Well, like people were saying yesterday, that that's Tuesday night in Madison. You know, so I, I I think you know we've gotten into the silly season. I would vote for Brett Kavanaugh simply because I think he is qualified, and I don't think you can deny him. I don't think it's right to deny him based on unsupported, uncorroborated allegations. And and I say that I don't know what the truth is. I don't know what if anything happened between them. I, I do think this is a situation where. On the one hand, maybe you argue that President Trump felt that uh, Brett Kavanaugh needed defending. I would argue that the tide was starting to turn, 
that um, you know the FBI investigation was underway. I don't think that's going to determine anything. That there was more stuff that was starting to come out, a little bit of it under the radar, coming out about about some of you know the, the allegations and inconsistencies in Doctor Ford's statement and things like that. I, I think Kavanaugh was winning. I, I do, and by President Trump mixing it up again. I think he's made it tougher for at least some of the senators to vote for him, but maybe he didn't care about that. I mean, clearly his audience wanted to see him defend Judge Kavanaugh. Let's talk to Dan in Fond du Lac. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Again. for taking my call. Sure. Say, um, I want to talk about, that's what people talk about around the water cooler. You know, we do say that that girl had no merit to even bring this up back in the day, you know, so long ago. So you think he's just channeling what what a lot of people are saying? And and so so Trump took this off onto a new thing. He said there's no merit. In other words, you know, he said she didn't know. She didn't know. Yeah, he was mocking. Yep, yep. So in other words, what I'm trying to get at on that is Trump's trying to just move on. I mean, we he keeps jumping to the next station. He keeps getting this taken care of. Then he wants to take that. That, that next step taken care of and move on and move forward. So he wants to get Kavanaugh done, get mm-hmm. him in, and then we can uh, move well, on to the next session of what we're, we're going to take care of next. Well, well, thanks for calling, Dan. I, I guess my, my, my concern was I think things were going pretty well for Kavanaugh. I, I, I do. And I, I, my concern was by, by President Trump doing what he did yesterday, he, he's now he's again he's kind of changed the narrative, and, and now we're we're talking about our we, we've you know reintroduced this and we're you know if if you vote for Judge Kavanaugh are you supporting you know a president who mocks women or things like that I I don't know I guess I, I'd be curious to get into the president's psyche because I I don't know if he's trying to do this as part of a of some sort of master plan. Or rather, whether this is just kind of off the cuff type of stuff, it is one of the reasons why I am so intrigued. As I said, two forty this afternoon, we're scheduled to do an interview with a woman named Mercedes Schlapp, who is the White House Strategic Communications Director, and we're going to be talking about the Brett Kavanaugh situation. So stick around for that. That's around two forty this afternoon. It's twelve fifty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One oh nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we got too much stuff going on here. That the your your cell phones will all buzz within the next what, Eric? About seven or eight minutes. Yep, one eighteen to be exact. One eighteen. Okay, and then immediately after that, I have my producer saying, "Remember that we have one of those national EAS tests, like at one eighteen to one twenty. Now, yeah. the problem with him telling me that is, it says remember as if I ever knew. But okay, <laughs> so, so that implies that I ever knew. Right, know, but right, right. but so your your cell phones are going to be going off. You're, we're going to be doing that, that annoying ES, EAS thing where it, it sounds like the noise is coming from somebody you know shouting into a, a tin can or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that is all coming up in a couple minutes. You've got, um, on a minor version, heck breaking loose on North Avenue. Now, here, here is the story. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. I come this way but once. You have a, a group of these union organizers who have been pushing for minimum wages of $15 in the fast food industry. Doesn't matter that the job is only worth 9 or 10 or $11. They, they want $15. 
doesn't matter that if you start making fast food restaurants pay $15 an hour, what is going to happen is those fast food restaurants are going to get rid of people and they're going to go to automation, that it's going to cost jobs. And it doesn't matter to these people that, again, the job just isn't worth $15 an hour. I mean, I'm all in favor of everybody making as much money as they possibly can, but the truth is, you know, your your job is only worth what your job is, not these artificial sort of amounts. So th- there's been these organized demonstrations. And again, these, in many cases, they are people that are, are paid by the unions to, to show up. So what they do is they show up outside the McDonald's on 9th and North Avenue. Maybe you've seen, if you ever get off the freeway or get on the freeway by, by North Avenue, it's kind of in that area. They show up. The owner of the restaurant apparently knew they were coming, and he he shut down. So the police get there. You've got a handful. This wasn't a, a large protest by any way, way, shape, or form, but the, the, it's going on. The group shows up. They try to block a fast food lane, but the, the restaurant owner had already closed down in anticipation of this. So the cops come. They find that there's there's nothing to see here. So they ascend, they, they they get ready to leave. TV cameras show up. And, of course, that's what these protests are all about. It's trying to get your face on TV. So you get a ragtag group of protesters that show up because they want the attention. Well, there's nothing to see because the owner has kind of shut this down. So already shut it down. So what the group then does as the officers, and this is my understanding of what happened, the officers say, okay, well, there, there's nothing to see here. All right, we're, we're, we're leaving. Nope, no problem. So then, in an effort to get attention, they leave the McDonald's where they're doing the protest they walk into the intersection and block the intersection at North Avenue solely so they can get the police to arrest them so they can get some television coverage. I mean, seriously. Now, now here's where I really come down on this, brothers and sisters. And again, pay attention. I come this way but once. The purpose of this is you have all these people who are supposedly out of work protesting $15 an hour. That's what they want. They want $15 an hour. Well, all right. I have a couple questions here. First of all, have, have you people looked for a, a job? Because what did we just see? What was it, yesterday or two days ago? Amazon. Amazon is on a hiring binge. Amazon has committed to paying $15 an hour. So if you really want a job that pays $15 an hour, Amazon will hire you. So why don't you get your sorry butts, get off the street, and actually go work for a living? That's number one. All right, number two, you're still looking for a job. The New Bucks Arena. The New Bucks Arena is committed twelve fifty an hour minimum wage to start with a commitment within the next couple of years that, that that ceiling is going to go up to um, $15 an hour. And the, the owners of the Bucks have also agreed to unionization, which is something else these people want. Bottom line is, if you really want a job, and this is important to you, there's all sorts of places that you can go today and and go to work. But again, I don't think this is about the people that were showing up there today wanting a job. This was about trying to get your face on television, trying to get some attention to an issue that in many respects is a non-issue as it affects them personally. Because like I say, if they want a job for $15 an hour, they would have access to it. And what I love about this entire story, if you wonder about the sincerity of these protesters, they show up at the McDonald's. 
The McDonald's owner has already closed down in anticipation of this. So there's nothing to see. There's no drama. And then what they do is once they realize that the police aren't going to arrest anybody, that there's not going to be a confrontation, that they might not get themselves on television at 5 o'clock tonight. So then what they do is they decide, let's move and let's block the intersection and let's force the police then to make arrests. I'm telling you, welcome to America in 2018. Bottom line is, you know, I think you could say to all these protesters, just go out and, and get a job, except the job really is, I think, to be the professional protester and get yourself arrested. It's 115. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, Lions, can they lay down with Lambs? Can Cubs fans coexist with Brewers fans? Can political opposites attract? Stick around. It's 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Packers hit the road this week. How are they preparing for the Lions in Detroit? Head coach Mike McCarthy joins Gene Miller at 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. So let me give you a little view of behind the scenes here. If you think you want to be a radio producer, my, my producer grew is, is running through all these different scenarios with the, 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 the tests that we're supposed to get on everybody's cell phones like any second now. And then, oh, you got yours. You're, you got yours on your cell phone? I got mine. Presidential alert. This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. Huh. It works. Now, is that, let me, let me just open this up here. This is a test. Now, here, okay, so if you have a cell phone, it probably went off in the last few, they didn't do this for landlines. Presidential alert. This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. Okay, I, I close that out. Now, here's here's why. Again, if you if you want to understand the silly season and how crazy it has been, there have been people. I I have in my hand, I have in my hand a handful of stories about people who are absolutely outraged about this particular test from people who are saying they object that the test is coming from Donald Trump. Well, the test isn't coming from Donald Trump. I read the entire text of this. There's no political element to this at all. To people who say, the government should have no control over my life. You shouldn't be able to reach out to my cell phone, to which, again, these are regulated things, so the government has the right to do that within boundaries. But this this has been, there's been one story after another about people who got themselves worked up, got their undies all in a bundle, because we were all going to be getting that particular notification. To which I would say, if that notification is something that is going to get you excited, unhappy, make you lose sleep, you really desperately need to dial it back a little. So the test has come. If you check your cell phone, you will probably see that. They did not do that on landlines, but at least I guess it's good to know that at least as far as you and I go, my producer Gru and I, if there is some national emergency, our cell phones will at least play the notifications. All right, quick reminder, and again, I almost never do this, but this was an interview I could not pass up. Coming, okay, we we are back. It took over. It took over the airwaves, without telling us that it was going to take over the airwaves. All right, but it it works on our cell phones. It works here. That is all good to know. When we come back. We want to talk about whether political opposites can attract. And again, just a quick note, 2.40 this afternoon, we're going to be doing an interview with the White House 
Director of Strategic Communications. How would you like that job? Her name is Mercedes Schlopp, and we're going to be talking to her about the president and about Judge Kavanaugh. Should be interesting. Stick around. It's 122. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 125. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, let's see. As the Brett Kavanaugh investigation wraps up in a vote nears, both sides of Wisconsin's congressional aisle weigh in. Scott Warris is joined by U.S. Congressman Mark Pocan and Senator Ron Johnson to break it down starting at 420 on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Be sure to check that out. All right. Let us get started. I, this is, it, it is no secret if you have been a regular listener to this program for years and years, um, for, well, for, for a long time, I, I came from a, a divided household. My my late wife, well, she she was a liberal Democrat. She was a liberal Democrat, and I am what I am. Um, the, the standing joke at the polls when we used to, to go to vote was that the, the poll workers who, who knew us both would always say, depending on, I, I would typically go in to vote first, and the standing joke would be, ah, see, you're here to get cancel out Jeff's vote, and and the truth is that that's probably pretty much what happened most of the time. The The only time I think she might have voted for a Republican was when I was on the ballot as a, for attorney general in 1994. And even then, I'm not positive about that. But but we saw things differently when it came to politics. But it did not stop us from being together for for a long period of time. And and it's, I know that there's a lot of people who, who just never understood that. They, how... How can you be married to somebody whose politics are different than yours? And I was thinking about that because there's a story on the front page of the Journal Sentinel about <clears throat> this couple that live in Clinton, Wisconsin. And <laughs> apparently their, their front lawn is cordoned off in half. And on one side of it, there's Republican signs, you know, Scott Walker, all that type of stuff. On the other side of it is Democrat signs, Tony Evers, etc. And they divided the, the lawn in half. And she is a Democrat. He is a, a Republican. And, you know, and it's an interesting story. They, they stop off and they, you know, they, the Journal Sentinel reporter does an interview and he's, they say, yeah, this is kind of what happens. You know, when he's watching TV, it's Fox News. When she's watching TV, it's CNN. They have been known to hide the remotes on each other and things like that. And I was thinking, well, I, I can kind of, I can kind of understand that because I, I lived it for, for a long period of time. But I, I always I know at the same time that there are people out there who just who do not understand that. And and I would from time to time I would get emails from listeners and all because I I mean I made we made no secret about it, it was something that we kind of joked about and they'd say well I just don't understand you know how how can how can you spend your life with somebody who has a worldview that is so completely different than yours when it comes to politics and you're a political junkie and all those types of things. And I used to just say, well, I don't necessarily analyze it. It's just, it's, it is kind of what it is. And, and it's, it's, it how, it's how it works. And people disagree about stuff all the time. And you can, and I understand that maybe politics is more important than baseball, but Cubs fans, I, I'm sure can be married to, you know, to, um, Brewers fans. Maybe. Maybe even Packers fans can be married to Bears fans. That might be a tougher stretch, but but I don't know. But in any event, I, I thought this was worth at least one segment of conversation, especially since we are in. There, there I, I hate to I, I hate to push it because we, we've always been politically polarized. That's just the reality. But I think you can make an argument that we're perhaps as politically polarized now as we ever have been. But but here is is my question. 
414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Can political opposites uh, attract? We know we know it works for James Carville and Mary Madeline, but, you know, could you be involved in a relationship with somebody whose politics are completely and totally different from yours? 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Interesting story on the front page of the Journal Sentinel today that they, they find this house and there's yard signs. Half the yard has Republican yard signs. Half the yard signs are, are Democrat. And they think that's kind of interesting. And they go and they knock on the door and they talk to Art and Barbara. And Art is a, Art's a Republican. Barbara's a flaming liberal Democrat. She says, I got stress in my life. It's called Trump and Walker. Barb says Art has become more conservative over time. He wears this damn red cap that says, Make America Great Again. My son got it for him as a joke, but now he wears it everywhere, which I find to be very embarrassing. Um, so it's just kind of like one of those those things. And I, I, I understand that, you know, politics are polarizing nowadays. And you read these polls that say that, you know, one out of like five people or whatever have said that, you know, that they've stopped talking to somebody because of the disagreements in politics, which raises the question, given how wrapped up everybody is, can you be involved in a significant relationship? Can you have a significant other who has a different political worldview than you? Here's a text. Uh, this is from Chris in Campbellsport. My girlfriend's political views are completely different from mine. It never comes between us in our relationship. We are simply very happy to be together. Here's another one. My wife and I don't agree on much in politics and social issues, but we make it work because we're educated adults who can agree to disagree. It blows my mind that other people cannot do the same. Um, all right. Let's talk to Michelle and Grafton. Michelle, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, I was, um, I grew up in a divided family and it, I, I think at that time, though, it, it, the divisiveness was not mean or angry and it was actually very educational for us as children. My father was kind of a staunch Republican and, um, when Nixon was impeached and they mm-hmm. went through Watergate, it like broke his heart. And my mother, of course, was a, um, avid liberal Democrat who is probably madly in love with Kennedy. She dragged us up as little kids to Bayshore, <laughs> and we met Kennedy. Right. And um, but you know they were both well educated, and we listened to their um, political banter um, because they were both they knew what they were talking about, and they had rationale to buttress their mm. political beliefs. So, so it was kind of interesting dinner. It was interesting dinner table it conversation. Was, and we did have the the divided signs on the lawn growing up, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the comment. Well, see, I guess I, I, I think that you you see this a lot, and I think I, I've always kind of said this to people. Politics are are important. That there, there's no question about it. But as a general rule, that the sun is going to rise in in the east tomorrow. I mean, there there's you, you you get involved, you care, you support your candidates. You think that there's one worldview that's better than another. You think that there's going to be, you know, some policies that are going to affect you that are going to be better than other policies that would be. But as, as a general rule, and I've always made this argument, most of us go about our, our daily lives and you go to work and you come home at night and you turn on the ball game and you, you, we, we all at the end of the day, I, I think, want the, the same sort of, of things. And reasonable people, I, I think, can disagree about stuff. Every now and then you get people who on one side or another 
aren't necessarily reasonable and are just kind of just way off the bend on something. And then I think the question just becomes, well, um, is there enough of another foundation? Do you have, are you friends? Do you have enough other interest? I mean, if you're in, I, I will tell you, I mean, the, the James Carville, Mary Madeline thing, I never quite got that because it seemed to me that politics was their whole life. And if that was it, then, then all you're doing is fighting. But I think for most people, you know, politics is a part of your life, and those are the discussions, and that's your worldview. But you know, you're going to disagree on that stuff, but there's going to be a lot of other things that you uh, agree on. My guess is that even in today's very, very contentious political world, there's there's a lot of people out there who find that their spouses don't necessarily agree with them on all sorts of stuff and might even not agree with them on a lot of stuff, but they're still happily married and they're raising their kids and they're getting on with their life and that's that's the way I think at the end of the day that it should be. All right, when we come back, for years and years, one of the driving issues in Wisconsin has been the level of taxes that we pay. Do we care about taxes anymore? Stick around. 140, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ Radio presents the Hometown Call at Turner Hall. It is a viewing party tomorrow, Game 1 of the National League Division Series. This free event will feature a massive movie screen broadcast at the Turner Hall Ballroom. Turner Hall is, of course, right across the street from the Bradley Center. The Turner Hall Ballroom is where, for the last several years, we've done our, our Christmas uh, event. Um, they're going to feature a broadcast of Game 1 of the National League Division Series between the Brewers and the Colorado Rockies. But here's what's really cool. It's going to be synced to Hall of Famer Bob Euchre's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and the Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Doors open at 3 o'clock this Thursday. First pitch is at 4 o'clock. Um, and it's going to, we, we just can't review this enough. Tomorrow, my show is going to be originating in its entirety, starting at noon from Miller Park. We'll be in our mobile broadcast facility right outside of the front of Miller Park. If you are there, stop by and say hi. We're going to do some regular program. We're going to have some brewers related programming. Then at three o'clock, I'm going to turn it over to Greg Matzik. He'll do about a half hour of pregame, unofficial pregame, and then our official pregame broadcast starts around 3.30. First pitch is at 4.07. Parking lots open up three hours before the game. That is the schedule. So they're scheduled to open up at 1 o'clock. Gates open up two and a half hours before the first pitch. So what, about 1.30-ish or so. And the Brewers, the game is sold out. They are expecting somewhere north of 45,000 people. So what the Brewers are doing is they're saying, if and, it, and it's good advice. I mean, think back to opening day. They're saying if you're coming out, come out early. Um, they're encouraging people once they get there. They're not saying don't tailgate because everyone's a tailgate, but leave yourself enough time. Get into the stadium early. There's going to be security lines and things like that. They've got a lot of stuff going on before the game, and they'd like people in their seats a little bit early to see some of the stuff that's going to be going on on the field. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You want to get out there, but when you get out there, if you wait till the last minute, sometimes what happens is you get caught in those security lines, and you'd like to try to avoid that. Anyhow, it's going to be a very, very big day tomorrow, and if you are going out to Miller Park um, and you're coming in past our tailgater, be sure to stop off and say hi. I would like that quite a bit. All right. In some respects, Scott Walker, the governor of the state, is a victim of his own success. People, I think, forget 
what it was like in Wisconsin in 2010, as as Jim Doyle's term was winding down. We had high unemployment, and I, I don't. And I don't even, for the, the sake of this discussion, I don't want to get into who do we blame for the high unemployment and things like that. But we had enormously ridiculous levels of taxes. We had high unemployment. We had a an economy that was struggling. And now, eight years later, that has completely and totally turned around. Essentially, we we are really almost at full employment. Bottom line is that anybody in Wisconsin who wants a job can pretty much get a job. Now, it might not exactly be the job they want, but, you know, we are pretty much at at essentially full employment. The unemployment levels very, very close to what they call structural unemployment, which is just, you know, people who are are taking a couple months off or you're between jobs or whatever. But, But basically, anybody who wants a job can get one. After years and years of taxation through the roof, Levels of taxes have kind of stabilized, despite a lot of the gloom and doom when Governor Walker rolled out Act 10. Oh, this is going to destroy, it's going to destroy the public sector. That that hasn't been the case. It, it just hasn't. Now, I, I'm not saying that there's some public sector employees who don't like Act 10 and don't like the fact that they have to contribute a little bit towards their health care and contribute more to the pension payments. I, I get all that, but you, you have not seen public services that are completely and totally destroyed in this state. You have an economy that is booming, and from an employment perspective, the biggest challenge now isn't can can somebody get a job, but it's for employers, can you find people to do the jobs? You know, there's been an almost a revolution when it comes to hiring and economic status and things like that over the last eight years to the point that I think people now, again, forget Forget what it was like when there really were kind of hard times. So, because things are going actually so well. But that, in some respects, works against Governor Walker because for people forget what it was like in 2010. So now it's like, well, all right. Uh, yeah, I, I know, I, I know that the taxes are low, but you know, boy, there, there's this pothole that's at the end of the street. And so instead of worried about whether you're going to lose your job, and you're now worried about, gee, that, that pothole hasn't been fixed for a while. And I'm not saying that the pothole shouldn't be fixed, but it, it shows how people's thinking changes. In this campaign, one of the things that has not broken through yet, and I, I don't think people are necessarily concentrating on it right now, is that Walker's challenger, Tony Evers, he's very, very good at being nonspecific. But if you listen to him, it's one of the standard liberal pay lists about playlists about, well, we want $1.4 million billion for education. Okay? Where is that money going to come from? Well, okay, but $1.4 billion for education. Okay? We want... We want to invest more in our, our roads. You know, now we already put in billions of dollars for the roads, but we, we want to, in, we want to invest more. I want to spend more money on the roads. Well, okay. Where is that money going to come from? Well, humana, humana, humana. It's, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything. I'm open to increased registration fees. By the way, speaking of that, I did, I digress. I got the renewal. Okay. I, I got the renewal for my car. For the first time in my adult life, I do not live in Milwaukee County anymore. The count, so the renewal comes, and it was seventy-five bucks because in the county where I live, there's not a there's not a Chris Abley wheel tax, 
There's not a Tom Barrett wheel tax. You just pay the state registration fees. It was $75 as compared to if you live, what, in the city of Milwaukee, you've got the Tom Barrett wheel tax, then you've got the Chris Abley wheel tax. So instead of having to pay 130 bucks or whatever to register the same car, get to register it for 75 bucks. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I just saved myself save myself 60 bucks or whatever. But but in any event, you've got Tony Evers who is saying, "Hey, I want more money for roads." And and yeah, I, I understand, but I don't want to tell you how we're going to get the money. I, I don't want to say, "Am I open to a quarter gas tax increase or a 50 cent gas tax increase or a dollar tax increase?" Well, it won't be that much, but I can't tell you how much it's going to be or increased registration fees. But it's it's very clear if you look at the Evers agenda, you're, you're talking about massive tax increases to pay for all these different spending programs. All right, fine, well and good. I think the calculation that some are making is that people no longer care about taxes. One of the things that that drove, I I think, the Tea Party revolution, you know, going, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, was the fact that people thought taxation was at an unreasonable level. Now the taxation has been brought down. Now, nobody likes to pay taxes. I, I get it. But now that you're not seeing massive property tax increases, now that you're not seeing gas tax increases, now that you're not seeing tuition being raised for in-state students, people, I, I think, have kind of forgotten what the impact was when the property taxes were going through the roof and what it was when the gas tax was going up year after year, and I've sort of forgotten about that. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Do you care if your taxes go up? And I ask that sincerely. That is not intended as, as a silly question. It is a real question because the truth of the matter is there is a stark choice between the two candidates that are running for governor. Governor Walker has been very clear that he does did not get elected and doesn't believe he will be reelected to raise taxes. That's not the view of his opponent. Do we care about taxes anymore? 414-799-1620 because the reality is the only way you're going to spend if you're committed to putting a 1.4 billion dollars more into the schools if you are committed to making public employees happier by increasing their salaries or giving more benefits to them or reinstating benefits that might have been cut back on by Act 10, that's going to cost money. If you say, okay, I, I want to see, you know, I, I don't like this pothole at the end of my street, well, okay, that's going to cost money as well, and and that money doesn't grow on trees. That money comes from tax increases. It will come from an increase in the state income tax. It will come from an increase in the property tax. It will come from a combination of an increase in registration fees or gas tax increases or other things. Are we at a point now where we are willing to accept higher taxes? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Sherry and Franklin. Sherry, hello. Hi. Okay, tell me about taxes. Do you care? I don't care. I don't, another 100 or $150, which is probably pretty high, probably wouldn't be that. Doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that the roads get fixed. Maybe the governor will take federal money for health care, other things that 
Maybe okay. more governing with more openness. Okay. Well, let's stay, let's stay on the tax. Let's stay on the let's stay on the let's stay on the tax thing. Um, okay. So you don't care right now. Gas costs about two eighty five a gallon. Ball, ballpark, depending on where you go. Of that, yeah. fifty cents is, is approximately fifty cents is taxes. Thirty three cents state tax. Sixteen or seventeen cents federal tax. So it's about fifty cents a gallon uh, of tax. So put in ten gallons, it, it's five bucks. Um, what if what if we were looking at a gas tax increase of of a quarter? So twenty five cents a gallon. So adding two fifty every time you fill up. You would that on top of what you already pay. You wouldn't care about no, that. That would matter to me. What okay. matters is these roads that are crumbling beneath us. Okay. And my car doesn't like it. <laughs> well, nobody. Okay, good enough. Thanks to call Sherry. Sherry said, I mean, I, I just use that as the example uh, that, you know, paying an extra $2.50. So, again, 10 gallons. I know some people fill up more than that. But for every 10 gallons you get, you pay about $5 in tax. Sherry said, well, I, I it could be seven fifty, and, and that, that, that wouldn't matter to me. I, I want the roads fixed. I don't care about that. I don't know. Is that where Wisconsin is? Because that's one of the questions we're going to have to answer. It's 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <music> 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Quick reminder, coming up approximately 2.40 this afternoon, we're scheduled to be joined by Mercedes Schwab. She is, she reports to the president. She's the White House Strategic Communications Director. That was the position first held by Hope Hicks. You might remember Hope Hicks. Uh, we're going to be talking with Ms. Schlapp about the uh, Kavanaugh appointment. So that's coming up at 2.40. Of course, President Trump, we discussed this in the last hour of the program, getting a lot of attention. Uh, up until yesterday, he had been relatively, relatively quiet on the whole Brett Kavanaugh situation. I mean, he, he had obviously nominated Brett Kavanaugh. He had supported a, an FBI investigation. He, he said that he didn't believe anything was going to come of it. Yesterday at a rally in Mississippi, he waded in with both feet, um, had some very, very harsh things to say about the accuser, and that's gotten a bit of a blowback. So that's where it stands right now. The FBI investigation into Brett Kavanaugh, I think, is scheduled to be completed by today. My guess is it will break no new ground, and then I think you're going to have a Senate vote coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, at the end of the last hour, we were talking a little bit about Really, the, the undercovered story in the governor's race, and, and that is is taxation. And, and people forget what it was like in Wisconsin eight years ago when the economy was struggling. You had high levels of unemployment. You had taxation at, at really, really high levels. And now that that's rolled back. The economy is going great guns. You've got all these different business initiatives that are going on. And now people, and eh, they're not starting to think about this anymore. Now it's, gee, I've got a pothole at the end of my road, and I want to pay more about it. One of our listeners from Illinois sends me a text. Hey, Jeff, if roads are really the biggest issue in Wisconsin, life must be pretty darn good. Try living in Illinois with enormously high taxes and billions of dollars in debt. Yeah, just just, just saying. I mean, historically... You know, going back, remember when, when Bill Clinton first ran for president, his message was it's the economy, stupid, that, that people vote their, their pocketbooks. You know, people people want to see their lives improved, that it's all about the economy. This election is is kind of turning that whole thought on, on its head, and I guess we'll see how that all plays off, plays out, because clearly in Wisconsin, if you're voting the economy, if if you're concerned about economic issues and job growth, 
There, there's absolutely no reason at all not to vote for Governor Walker. But if you believe the polls, and that's a big if, you know, he's in the political race of his life. All right, I want to switch gears. The The New York Times yesterday came out with a a breathless piece. I don't know that I have ever seen anything like it on on President Trump. And, of course, it's been picked up by by all the major news outlets. I, I have this in my hands. And as a matter of fact, I it it's well, if you print it out, it's 38 pages. It did to give you an, it's 38 pages. When's the last time you saw a newspaper article that was 38 pages? Books are written that are smaller than 38 eight pages. It's apparently going to be the subject of a the New York Times was so over the moon with this that they cut a deal with Showtime, and Showtime is apparently has done this documentary on the New York Times researching the story that 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 they ran. I have read the entire story, and I've read it twice because I wanted to make sure I I understood this. So I did it, so you don't have to if you don't want to. Special investigation: Trump engaged in suspect tax schemes as he reaped riches from his father. All right, now, let me tell you what. I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I I want to go through this story briefly, and then we're going to open up the phone lines, and we're going to discuss whether or not you care. Stick around. 212, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, WTMJ Radio presents... The hometown call at Turner Hall viewing party for Game 1 of the National League Division Series tomorrow. This free event will feature a massive movie screen broadcast at Turner Hall's ballroom of Game 1 of the National League Division Series between the Brewers and the Rockies. It's going to be synced to Hall of Famer Bob Uecker's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and the Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Doors open at 3 o'clock this Thursday. First pitch is at 4 o'clock. All right. At some point in time, you and your spouse might might actually sit down with an estate planning lawyer, and you might discuss what you want to do with your stuff. Um, one of the things, if if you've got kids and you've got you're worried about, okay, how are our assets going to be divided? You know, the, your estate planning lawyer will sit down. They'll talk to you about a will, perhaps. You know, what happens if you, you, both you and your spouse, God forbid, die in a car crash or something like that? You know, how, how how are your assets going to be divided? What's going to happen? Chances are the lawyer that you talk to will also start talking to you about something called an estate plan. All right. You know, something beyond, beyond a will. You know, what, what do you want to do with your money? Is there a way? that you can take stuff that you've worked for your entire lifetime and you can get it to your kids or you can get it, I don't know, to whoever, charities, or you can get it where you want to go without necessarily having to go the will route. There, There's, you know, so you can avoid going to probate court because, you know, you want to avoid probate. Most people will tell you you want to avoid probate court if you can. The lawyer who's doing your estate plan will also talk to you about taxes and all these different strategies that exist because let's face it most people i don't think there's anything wrong with trying to devise plans to if it's possible avoid 
paying taxes or avoid paying higher levels of taxes. I'm not saying evade. I'm not saying commit crimes. But there's all these different strategies that are out there. Gee, if you do this with your money or you do that with it, you're going to be able to avoid this or that or the other thing, and you're going to, you know, save your heirs money. All right, that's that's just what an estate planning lawyer will do. And trust me, there's all sorts of lawyers who make all sorts of money by putting together estate plans for people of all different levels of means that, are, again, are designed to get their money to where they want their money to go with their heirs having to pay the least in taxes on it. that that's There's nothing wrong with that at, at all. So anyhow, New York Times comes out with this lengthy, breathless story. And what it, what it essentially says is that Donald Trump was born with a silver spoon in, in his mouth. His, his father was a, a builder, Fred Trump. And his father was a builder and a real estate guy who made a, a lot of money and who set up all these different plans and programs, etc., to get his money to his kids without, again, having to pay taxes or as much taxes as possible on it. Now, this, I guess, somewhat contradicts, forget somewhat, this contradicts the, the story that Donald Trump tells about how he's sort of a self-made man and he started out with a million-dollar loan that he repaid from his father. And you know, the New York Times story says, well, it really wasn't wasn't that. Actually, any loans he took were, all, were a lot more. But, but Trump grew up, uh, you know, as the son of this really rich builder and benefited a lot from that. And then the story goes on to talk about how, as his father got older, how they had the the corporations and the father had all these different plans that they developed to try to get money to the kids with the smallest tax impact possible. All right. Now, the Trump organization say that, you know, every year, every year when they did this, it was reviewed by the IRS, it was reviewed by their lawyers. And, you know, people signed off on this. The New York Times now goes back and says, well, you look at this and you look at that and you look at this and this, this looks a little bit fishy and maybe they shouldn't have been able to do this and they should have paid more taxes on this. But, you know, they're, they're going back, you know, they're going back decades on this. And the, the idea being that, I guess, number one, if President Trump says he was a self-made guy, yeah, he's probably not telling the truth. He got, he got a head start that most people don't necessarily get, namely that he, you know, he was was born into this, this family that had this incredible wealth. It goes on to say that some of the business deals he, he made weren't necessarily that good, and that you know he was was hurting at the time of you know the the real estate crash back in in the eighties, and that dad kind of bailed him out by doing stuff. And then it also says, yeah, they took advantage of all these different track strategies, and they kind of pushed the line by transferring money from dad to the various family members. All right, so that's that is a summary, I, I think, of the you know forty page story. And of course it's getting all this attention. The New York Times has an editorial, Donald Trump and the self made sham. Oh, he's he's not really a, he's not really a self made man. You know, he inherited a lot of this money. Uh for their part, the Trump's lawyer warns the New York Times um, of that you know some of this stuff is, is defamatory. I, I want to talk about the the larger issue here. I understand 
that President Trump is incredibly divisive. I understand that there's almost no middle ground, that that you either love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump. I, I get all that. But I mean, I, I really I read this story kind of looking for the smoking gun. And what you have, and again, his, his father died decades ago. And what you have is a rich guy who passed on his money to his kids. Donald Trump, President Trump, was like the favored one of the kids. But, you know, essentially from the moment these kids were born, they developed like these tax strategies to pass money on to the kids with the least tax impact possible. And, and yes, it's not, it doesn't appear that Donald Trump is a self-made man in the sense of, I don't know, Horatio Alger or somebody like that. But I guess I'm reading all this and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what what the new ground is here and whether anybody cares. I mean, I don't know about you, but it doesn't come as a surprise to me that, I don't know, President Trump was born into a wealthy family and was able to, I don't know, bootstrap off of a lot of the buildings and a lot of the work that his father did. And his father was a billionaire who passed that money along to his kids. I I guess I'm not surprised by any of that. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does any of this matter really one way or another? to you know Donald Trump as the president in in 2018 and I know the New York Times is patting itself on the back we've got this huge exposé again I I look at it and say I I don't see how this changes anybody's mind I mean I I understand the president his narrative is hey I'm this kind of self-made guy I'm not sure that there's anybody out there whoever necessarily bought into this you know the president's story is well I got a million dollar loan that I repaid well, if you believe the New York Times, the the, the loan, he, he, it was a lot more than a million dollars. But does anybody care? I mean, I I guess I always assumed that the president was born into a really, really wealthy family and that he took a lot of money that he inherited in one fashion or another, and he continued kind of the family empire, regardless of what his politics is. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you care about any of this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I I understand that the president's extremely controversial, and, and I understand that some of the stuff that he says about his background is over the top, and if you want to say it's a lie or a fraud or, or whatever, I, I, I get it. And the, the New York Times, bottom line is they do this 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 huge piece that says that, you know, when Donald Trump says he's kind of a self-made man, it's all BS. And what he really did is he inherited all this money from his father, and they spent <clears throat> you know decades trying to figure out, you know, ways to take the money that the father had and pass it on to the kids. And I guess I... I just don't find any of that to be this sort of earth-shaking surprise follows surprise development. I mean, that's that's what rich people do. <laughs> it's they they hire estate planning lawyers and and they try to do whatever they can to try to pass stuff on with the the smallest impact of on taxes as is possible. Christine in Cedarburg. Christine, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I'm not shocked at all. I mean, if if you're going to pay your taxes and and, and your tax you know, person has a tax shelter or something that's going to benefit your family or your children who wouldn't take advantage of that. And 
he's still, no matter what money he does have, he's still, you know, you know, was into real estate and helped develop things. So I, I just think he's preserving the wealth and what's his. Well, well, right, and and that's what. I mean, on, on different levels, that that's what pretty much everybody does. That's why I said that, that that's one of the reasons people go, that they go to lawyers. Then there's a whole area of lawyers that these estate planners that sit down with you and they say, okay, this is, this is the way to preserve wealth. And if you want to pass it on, these are the different things we can do. Now, obviously, if you're talking about somebody who's worth billions, it's a different situation than it is for most of us. But it, it gets the still that the principle remains the same. And the New York Times goes back and they say, well, this thing they did in the 90s, you know, we this might be kind of questionable, to which the, the Trump organization says, hey, all this stuff has been reviewed by the IRS. It was reviewed by lawyers. People have signed off on this. You know, what's the big deal other than the fact that he probably had more of a head start than he wants people to know? But. I don't know. Do, do people care and are people surprised? And my answer would be no. I agree with you completely. And like, you know, when tax season comes, if your tax man says, hey, this is a shelter, this is something you can do to help save your family more money, who's going to write a, you know, an extra check to the IRS? You're going to listen and you're going to do it to help preserve extra dough for your family and, and your kids. Well, well right. That, I mean, th- thanks for the call. That, that's, that's what we all do. I mean, I, I'll tell you. I mean, I, again, I, I have a lawyer. It's, it's not, but believe me, I, I, I'm not, I don't have the situation that the Trump family had, but you know, we have, I have a lawyer that sits down and he, you know, he says, okay, this is, you know, this is what you want to do. If something happens to you, this is how you want it to go. And, and by the way, Jeff, you know, these are the different things you want to, you want to try to minimize the tax consequences. Now, nobody's saying do anything illegal, but here you can do this. You can do that. You can do whatever. If you do it this way, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have to pay taxes on this. If you do it this way, you're not going to have to pay taxes. I mean, and you go through, you go through one by one and you make those different decisions. Now, again, it, it's on a, it's on a different level. And I don't even know enough about tax law to tell you whether or not some of the stuff that the Trump family did in the early 1990s, quote unquote, pushed the envelope or, or not. But, you know, they say, hey, the IRS has looked at this. The tax lawyers looked at this. People signed off on this stuff. And, and now, because he's the president and we don't like him, you know, we're, we're going back and trying to discover what he did 20-some years ago. As far as, you know, his, his story about how I'm kind of a self-made man, well, I don't know that there's too many people who thought that, that was really the, the, the case anyways. He's a self-made man to an extent, but he, he got a huge head start from his billionaire father. O- okay, so, so, so what? 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers and Packers are giving fans plenty to cheer about lately, but now it's time for your Milwaukee Bucks to get in on the action. Pfizer Forum finally opens its doors for what it was originally built for. That is a basketball game. Coverage of the Bucks and the Bulls preseason opener starts tonight at 6.30. That is right here on WTMJ. Another day, another car chase. I was driving down the street the other day, and I saw one of those billboards that the community has put up saying, don't run, we will chase you. And I know the mayor and the police chief and community leaders have had these press conferences saying, don't run, you will be chased. And I guess it is just so frustrating because the message is just clearly not getting out. If you haven't heard this story, another day, another chase. Milwaukee police, last night, they see a a car driving recklessly just um, around 12th and Burnham, just before midnight. And what they do is they try to pull the car over that's driving recklessly. Instead of pulling over, as happens 
as happens all too often in this community, the driver takes off, fleeing at a high rate of speed. Police start to follow. While traveling in the 700 block of South 21st Street, the driver loses control of the vehicle, slams into a bunch of parked cars. As a result of it, the 19-year-old driver, dead. Dead as a result of this, two passengers in the car, a 20-year-old man and a 22-year-old woman, seriously injured during the accident. Both have been taken to an area hospital for treatment. I don't know any more details, excluding like why the guy ran. Don't know if the car was stolen or anything like that. But it's another one of these situations where you have people, particularly young people. Now, in this case, the driver was 19. A lot of times it's 13 or 14 or 15. But again, the, the standard default mechanism is to floor it, take off, try to run from the police. And once again, nothing good happens. In this particular case, the driver of the fleeing vehicle loses his life. And it is a tragedy. I mean, a lot of times it's a pedestrian that happens to be in the way, or it's some innocent third party who's driving the car, their car, and happens to get hit. In this case, it was the driver of the fleeing vehicle, so I guess you can make an argument that he got what he deserved. I, I wouldn't say it like that, though, simply because you know you, you have somebody that's dead. They've lost their life as a result of a very, very bad choice. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back... We are scheduled to be joined by the White House Strategic Communications Director. Stick around. It will be an interesting conversation. 238, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We are joined right now by Mercedes Schlapp. She is the White House Strategic Communications Director. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about Judge Kavanaugh. When when President Trump nominated Judge Kavanaugh to the, the Supreme Court, did, did anybody anticipate anything like what's happened over the last couple of weeks? You know, I don't, I'm not sure if they anticipate if we anticipated it to the extent of what we've seen the shenanigans that the Democrats have uh, presented. In, in all of this, because um, I, I have to tell you, I mean, from day one, uh, the Democrats made it very clear that they were going to do everything they could to resist the uh, Kavanaugh nomination. And with that being said, they've taken the low to a new low because of the fact that what they have done to this man and his family in terms of the character assassination, in terms of basically dragging his name through the mud is just unforgivable. And also for Dr. Ford, who was expecting basically for her own, um, what she had expressed to be confidential. And the fact is, is that the Democrats leaked this information out uh, and she's being represented by Democrat political operative lawyers. So it's all very disturbing as to how the Democrats have failed in this process. It's been a disgrace to watch how they held on to this information for months where you could have had a confidential FBI investigation and instead wait till the last minute to present this allegation to then call for an FBI investigation and basically put Judge Kavanaugh's life on hold and this process on hold uh, for political purposes. Um, President Trump, after nominating Judge Kavanaugh, was relatively 
relatively circumspect while this was going on. He was talking about you know the need for an FBI investigation and indicating that you know there were serious allegations. But he, he stood behind Judge Kavanaugh yesterday at a rally in Mississippi. He, he kind of waded in with both feet um, with some comments about the accuser. Uh, was that an intentional move, or, or what was the president's thinking on that? Look, the president was simply stating facts that a lot of media outlets have not reported on. Um, there are inconsistencies consistencies in Dr. Ford's testimony. Um, you know, while she was sincere in her in her in in her testimony in her hearing, and obviously, I mean, I, you know, if she has gone through a sexual assault situation, I, it, we're all very sympathetic towards that. With that being said, you look at what the special prosecutor who went in, uh, Miss Mitchell, who asked the questioning. Uh, to both Kavanaugh as well to uh, Dr. Ford, and what she represented, and again, she comes from a very neutral ground, basically saying that there is just not enough evidence in this situation and in, in, in what Dr. Ford presented, that there's basically a lot of inconsistencies in her story where she doesn't know when it happened, what day it happened, where it happened, who took her home that day, and, and even those witnesses that Dr. Ford had mentioned basically refuted her claim. So it, it is a situation where the emotional um, basis of all of this is driving facts, and that is very, very problematic because we want to get to the facts. Obviously, we, of course, feel for those who have gone through sexual assault, um, it, it, women who have gone through sexual assault, men as well, but we also, at this case, what's happening is we got to separate that from the fact that there are facts in this story, and that is part of what the FBI is doing to to basically, um, you know, get the information that they need, the background information that they need. Uh, so we're going to get through this process. But with that being said, what has been horrific is seeing how this has all played out. It, it, it's become a circus. It's really trying to destroy people's lives. I know Brett Kavanaugh personally. I know his wife, his children. I worked with Brett Kavanaugh in the Bush administration. We worked very closely together. He was always incredibly professional respectful to women to all and and really the Brett Kavanaugh we all know and love is someone who is has had a stellar career not only in the executive branch but also in the judicial branch where he's respected by legal uh, experts on both sides and it's just so unfortunate that we've ended up throwing away his stellar career to focus on high school and yearbooks and all this craziness that we're saying. We're talking to Mercedes Schlapp, who is the White House Strategic Communications Director. Uh, Senator Cory Booker comes out today and he says, well, the, the White House should should ditch the Kavanaugh nomination, whether he's innocent or guilty. And I guess maybe that is the course of least resistance. Does that have any appeal to the White House? Absolutely not. I mean, we look at Judge Kavanaugh's record, and he has said he's going to be an independent judge. Uh, he has a very strong judicial record. I mean, over 300 opinions written. Uh, he's obviously served in the District Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, which is the second highest court in the land. He's gone through six FBI investigations. The man is more than beyond qualified. There is no question uh, in my mind about that. What the Democrats are doing is that they obviously want to delay, stall, resist, uh, destroy uh, as much as they can because they're they're trying to bet on on the on an election. I mean, they are very concerned of 
who takes this to this the Supreme Court position, right? So for them, for them, this is an all-or-nothing approach, and their all-approach is an, an ambush, an, a character assassination uh, attempt uh, to basically try to take down whoever President Trump would have picked, whether it would have been Kavanaugh or not. Uh, but I find this to be the lowest. I, look, I've been in Washington uh, for 20 years. Uh, and I've never in my lifetime seen uh, this attempt by one party to absolutely destroy these uh, judge. I just n- have never seen anything like that. I mean, you can take it back to the days of Clarence Thomas, but I mean, the the reality is is that they the Democrats are in a all or nothing campaign where they will smear, they will ambush, they will destroy whoever is going to try to become the next Supreme Court justice, and well, it happens to be Brett Kavanaugh. Well, that kind of ties into what my next question was going to be. I, I, you sit here and you look at it and you think, all right, if this happens to Judge Kavanaugh, who in their right mind is <laughs> – who, who do you reach out to and, and say, here, I, I want you to be the next justice on the Supreme Court, knowing that you're going to get this kind of treatment as well, that you know, you're going to have stuff that you did in high school or grade school or whatever now plastered and, and turned into you're, you're a drunk or you're a sexual predator or whatever? Right, and you had Senator Cory Booker actually admitting that he was groping girls back in high school or in college. I mean, it's like it goes to no end, right? So the Democrats have said, okay, we're going to not only, you know, go into this whole where they've, they've accused him of being a rape, you know, a rape, someone who's a raper. They've accused him of being a rapist. I'm sorry. They've accused him of, you know, being a drunk. I mean, these are serious accusations and false accusations. And, and yet whatever, like the liberal media could find, they would throw out there without even verifying uh, their stories. And then the Democrats would pile on by saying there is no presumption of innocence or guilt. Or like Sen- Senator Hirono said about all men should just shut up. I mean, I have to tell you, if I were like, I don't understand how a Senator Tammy Baldwin could just not stand up against the Democrats on this. For, it is wrong, the process that they have pushed forward. When it was Justice Sotomayor, when it was Justice Kagan, who, by the way, hired Brett Kavanaugh um, to teach in Harvard, these they, it was a, a respectful process. And it's like the Democrats have lost their minds and are basically saying, Let's let's we we have to figure out a way to take him down. And and I just think that the temperature has been raised so high here in Washington, the stress level that, you know, the fact that you have even these senators who feel concerned, these Republican senators who are concerned for their safety because you have protesters who will 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 stop them and get the, get in their faces about these things and make these false allegations about Judge Kavanaugh. It's just disgraceful and it needs to stop. And it's why Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said, we are moving forward on a vote. We need to move forward on the process. We cannot keep waiting um, because it's just been too long, too painful for these families. If you look into your crystal ball, what's going to happen at the end of the week? Are there going to be enough votes to confirm him? You know, I'm hopeful that we can get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed. There's no one who I know better who could fit this role, who is so incredibly qualified, who has been a public servant for over 20 years, who has been someone who has um, very much is well-respected in the legal circles and will be an excellent addition to the court. But sadly, 
what we're going to see is someone who's, who, who the Democrats have made it a point to destroy his reputation. And that will have long-lasting effects. Um, and, and for us, I have to tell you, it really is just something, a, a process I'm, that's been one of the most disgraceful processes I have seen in Washington. And the Democrats just need to stop. And, and, and it's why I'm just so disappointed in, in Senator Tammy Baldwin for not just standing up against the Democrats in this process that's been so unfair and so unfair not only to Dr. Ford, but so unfair to uh, Judge Kavanaugh and his family. Uh, Mercedes, I, I have one final question I have to ask you. You, you, in your position, you report directly to the president. What, what's it like working for President Trump? You know, I'm, I feel so honored and blessed to not only work for President Trump, but to serve for the American people, uh, here in, in, in Washington, D.C. Obviously, when you go into the West Wing, you carry this great burden of those who, uh, served before you. And you recognize that it's a big, big responsibility. So, uh, you know, one thing about President Trump, and I've worked for two presidents, President George W. Bush and now President Trump, uh, is that President Trump is very results-oriented. He wants to keep pushing and driving and thinking how, and figuring out how we can think outside of the box when it comes to Washington. Uh, obviously, Congress is very slow-moving, and so the president has been able to push things through. I mean, we had a huge victory this week with the renegotiation of NAFTA, now the USMCA, and uh, and it's it's one of our biggest trade agreements that we've made. And that is an essence and a focus on protecting our American workers, our American farmers, and ensuring that uh, we could get more market access for our agricultural goods. It's huge news for uh, for states like Wisconsin and even uh, access into more dairy markets. Uh, so it's very important accomplishments that we're seeing. And obviously, the untold story of the economy, which we're having direct impact on American families and our businesses, where uh, you're seeing American businesses invest more in our nation, where you're seeing families being able to keep more money in their pockets. These are victories for Americans. And I have to tell you, he does it because he loves America. He wants to keep fighting for America. And I have to say, I'm very proud to work with him every single day. Mercedes Schlapp, the White House Strategic Communications Director. Thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That is, uh, that is she reports, she 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 fills the position, Hope Hicks, who you might remember um she replaced Hope Hicks as the White House Strategic Communications Director, reports directly to the president. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Scott Warris, Melissa Barkley, Greg Matzik. Find out what they have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.